everyone. Welcome back again to the webinar Wednesdays of what we are doing here with the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. I'm Nick Walters, your host for this particular session. And we also are uh, a part of the um, Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast. So you may be listening to us uh, instead of watching part of this today as well. So Thank you for joining us for what is yet again a great guest. I'm so tickled that we have not fallen below the, the good guest bar yet. So we still have great guests that are giving great content to talk about hemp and all the good things that are going on there. And, and we're glad to say, Chase, you're our first repeat guest. How about that? I mean, you know, they say the greatest compliment is getting at be asked to come back right not just to come once. <laughs> chase hubbard is here with uh, the jacobson which is a a great uh, outfit that gives so much insight into markets and to understand about kind of what the future crystal ball may look like uh, in things as it relates to hemp so chase why don't you start off if you would and just uh, do a quick intro about you and about what all your folks do um, there at the Jacobson and Fast Markets and other places like that. Thanks, Nick. I'm really happy to join, and uh, thanks for any of you listening. Uh, appreciate it, and hope I can uh, share some some useful information. Uh, just as an intro, my background is agriculture. I farmed up until uh, about five years ago, and uh, mixed crops and livestock. I come from agriculture, and so um, that's what I bring to my program. It was important when the Jacobson brought me in um, that connection to agriculture. Um, so, so that's my background. I've been reporting on hemp markets now since July. Of 2019. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's just sort of a, you know, what I want to show you is not a commercial for the Jacobson, which is uh, now the fast markets, uh, fast markets, but uh, um, I'll certainly give you enough information to know if it's a resource for you. Hey, we don't mind a commercial. Okay. <laughs> Since uh, uh, the big salary you're getting for being our guest right here, that uh, uh, I assure you that we're glad for you to commercialize all you wish. So that's terrific. Thanks. Uh, those of you who might be uh, listening to the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast, uh, uh, Chase has got some great slides and some other visuals. Uh, you can go back to our website at, um, at nationalhempcoop.us, and uh, we will have there. You will find a, a blog post that will talk about this specifically, and, and there'll be some there'll be a slide or two there for you to be able to follow along if you weren't able to join us live. So, well, Chase, why don't you just go on and take it away if you like. Uh, you should be able to screen share. You got me now. I got you. You should be. It, uh, do you see my screen? It's up here. I don't. Uh oh. Okay. And I'm double checking to make sure I didn't click something wrong. <laughs> okay. As far as my end knows, it's it's uh, has the permission to share. Yeah, no, it's up here. I've got the Zoom slide share, the, the really? slides and um, well, going right through them here. Um, man, I don't know. I'm sorry. I. Uh, Let's try it again here. This is a first. This usually works. So um, this is something here. 
who can share all panelists that's you who can share when somebody else is sharing all panelists that's you and you're a panelist i don't know man shoot well i guess we'll all get to go back to the blog post and see what it and see what it says so <laughs> walk us through it as best you can then uh, we'll we'll, oh, we'll, we'll do with it as best we can this is not the first time once I uh, stepped up to do a presentation in front of, I don't know, 300 people. Uh, the uh, commissioner of ag was here. It was a forum and uh, it just ate all the slides, big, beautiful pictures of farms and stuff. And so I just forget I ever had one and moved on. That's what we'll do. <laughs> there you go. So, That's okay. Anyway, look back if you want to see some images that relate, but uh, I'll go ahead and start in. So uh, the Jacobson uh, is over a hundred year old price reporting agency. We report in a, a range of niche agricultural markets. Um, back in February, we were uh, acquired by a company called Fast Markets, uh, headquartered in, in the UK. And what that's done is uh, really given us um, a global reach. And there's a lot of support within the organization for the hemp program um, for experience expanding it to really, really be able to characterize markets um, accurately. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity for crossover too. We report in a bunch of markets. We've got about 250 people embedded in markets around the world, um, but we report on non-wovens, which is a big part of um, what, what we'll see in um, hemp fiber production early on. Um, takes, uh, you know, less sophisticated than, um, than hemp textiles. And perhaps some low hanging fruit, if you could call it that, in, in the hemp fiber world. Um, and then biofuels. Jacobson has long been a, um, uh, you know, been a leader in, in market intelligence and the biofuel, especially biodiesel. And, and now as renewable fuel standards and California policy changes, the uh, renewable diesel and the feedstocks, um, those fats and oils and feedstocks for renewable diesel. So anyway, what I'm saying is that uh, at Fast Markets, we sit at, a, at the intersection of these industries. And especially with our clients, which are lots and lots of industry, um, automakers, uh, aircraft makers, um, you know, who subscribe for our uh, hide and leather uh, bulletins and a series of materials that companies are starting to look at hemp as alternatives. So shoe manufacturers, automakers, et cetera. Um, we think that'll, you know, create some real um, synergy for our clients and also for us in reporting. Um, so, uh, yeah, fast markets being involved in hemp markets hopefully will increase confidence, especially for, for um, outside entrants and uh, facilitate outside investment too. Um, Production this year, um, got a chart up for you. <laughs> but uh, I believe you. Otherwise, <laughs> um, you know, we the, the FSA Farm Service Agency reported um, about uh, thirty six thousand acres, thirty five three fifty eight this year total. Um, about twenty one thousand of those cannabinoids, uh, fifty eight oh eight for hemp seed. Uh, 4632 for fiber and 3459 uh, for seed for sowing. Um, so I went through that quickly. Please uh, ask questions if you have um, any questions about those details. Um, that's down from 66,703 last year, Farm Service Agency numbers. We know that those numbers aren't uh, completely accurate. <clears throat> 
we also look at um, licensed acres and you know come up with our own estimates. But in terms of supply and demand fundamentals for this industry, we're really not to the point where we have the, the data to support accurate forecasting. Um, you know, like we do in other markets like uh, soybeans and corn. Um, so in terms of leveraging supply and demand fundamentals to to sort of um, look at outcomes, you know, we really um, don't don't have that ability yet. We we for any of you that are clients or know that you know we did do some forecasting that I really called an outlook, but <clears throat> uh, we've dialed that back a um, little bit premature there. Um, so that's production. That's a snapshot of production. We'll kind of look at it from from the the hemp seed uh, from all the different segments: cannabinoids, hemp seed, and fibers. We go through. Um, cannabinoids are still the leading segment. Um, 21,459 acres this year per FSA. Um, that doesn't include a bunch of acres in Oregon. The states and uh, segments that have more historical um, uh, uh, interaction with FSA uh, producers that have you know been through the crop insurance program or, or whatever. Um, and that's real typical for bigger farmers um, to, to really rely on funding opportunities, whether it be COVID or, or drought. Um, uh, funding. Um, at any rate, uh, so Oregon is one of those states we know that underreports just simply because there's not a, a history of reporting there, but it is mandated in the uh, the USDA hemp regulations. So uh, we should see better data there. USDA is doing a survey too that just wrapped up in October, and and um, that should give us some good some good data to work with as well. Who who will do that part of it? Does ARS do that? Or who does the? No, it's through um, agricultural statistics. Oh um, yeah, sure, okay, so, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, uh, they do that, and, but it's in conjunction with AMS, absolutely. Um, you know, it's really to inform AMS programming. So, um, so anyway, hopefully that'll yield some good data. You know, we argued all along that uh, that uh, surveying should be mandatory in the uh, in the USDA hemp program, just because it's such an enormous opportunity for managing a program and funding and stuff. And um, so we'll see what kind of participation they get on the on the current hemp survey, but um, uh, but just a little bit on data collection and, and supply and demand. So uh, cannabinoids again. Um, this segment, 21,459 acres, um, have the heaviest influence on hemp politics, really. Um, you know, Delta-8 is now the leading category, Delta-8 THC in, um, you know, in hemp. Um, you know, all the uh, stockpiled um, CBD, you know, has been uh, isomerized into, into Delta-8, and that has really had an impact on, on um uh, on the politics too. We, we were predicted that legislatures would shut that down, um, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, you know, not rocket science there that uh, children can go and buy intoxicants at the store that, you know, other industries are heavily regulated. It, um, you know, it, it's uh, uh, an expected outcome, but um, we didn't know what kind of runway there would be for Delta 8. Uh, we don't price Delta 8, but uh, we certainly, you know, look at it in terms of moving isolate, isolate supply. And also, how it affects um, policy going forward, because um, that's going to really increase the headwinds for um, industrial segments. Um, 
Delta eight and illicit marijuana um, in Oregon, for instance, as an example, you know, have have really had um, some political fallout. A um, couple of counties there declaring a state of emergency this year, um, last month, due to um, organized crime moving in and using the hemp program as subterfuge as cover for um, for um, for uh, marijuana production. And uh, one of the examples of that is um, in one of the calls with uh, recently that was a, um, uh, headed up by one of their state lawmakers. Um, one of the key participants said, you know, why is hemp overseen by Oregon Department of Agriculture? You know, it, it should be overseen by OLCC, Oregon Liquor Cannabis Control. So that's a very different um, oversight regime. And, and that's the kind of, you know, fallout that we that we predicted will come out of the Delta 8 thing. But, you know, the industry is not one monolithic industry moving. It's a whole lot of different parts and pieces. And right. As time goes by, I think, you know, we'll, we'll see legislators start to understand the difference between the various segments and efforts like uh, like the energy project out in, in Missouri that uh, um, that you guys are involved in. Yeah. Don't you think, though, just sidebar real quick on that conversation. It's kind of the good and the bad of the plant. Right. Because the 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 good part is, is it will do so many doggone things and can be involved in so many different sectors. Uh, so the bad on that sometimes is helping people focus on any one particular part that you might be interested in. Right. I mean, so if you're interested in that, it almost seems like some whatever. So if you're more in the industrial grain side, let's say, or let's just even say strictly on the fiber side. Right. And then fiber would just be your thing. I, I know a lot of conversations we have about fiber because we believe that's kind of the most, that's the best common denominator for any of our growers, depending on what their temperate zone is. There's always some fiber play that we can do in there somewhere, right? Um, but um, uh, it, it, it seems like every conversation we have is, yeah, 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 I understand all that. But let me tell you about our part and what we're talking about on the fiber end. And so it, that makes it a negative in a way that it's a whole lot of education, I think, curve that has to come up and you know, not just the dialogue of that originally, I would say originally, that more frequently happened, which is, well, aren't you all cannabis? Well, yes, if the whole, yes, the whole plant is cannabis, right? But comma, we're not marijuana or et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know. I just, it just seems like an interesting dynamic. And part of that is just the immaturity of the industry, quite frankly, as it's, as it's growing, right? I think it's all to be expected. It's the natural progression of it. I mean, we're looking at it from a very limited perspective when we should, you know, eventually looking at it in chunks of decades is probably going to give us a more realistic picture of the, um, but anyway, we're, we're living through it right now in real time. I will say that, um, you know, what I think we've come to is that um, cannabinoids are their own industry separate from um, industrial hemp, hemp seed. Um, you know, the issues that are that are germane to one are not to the other. Um, and so I think for our reporting, what we're, we're looking at is really reporting hemp derived cannabinoids um, in a cannabis um, uh, you know, vertical. Um, so all cannabinoids, whether it's THC, CBD, Delta-8, whatever, you know, those are the same industry. They use the same, um, use the same technology, um, have same policy issues, marketing. Um, so at any rate, yeah, I think that's right. So, I, and I see lots of people trying to distance themselves between the cannabinoid side, you know, that uh, that's definitely something that is a, is a real uh, trend. 
Yes. Cool. Thanks. I didn't mean to get you off track. I no, 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 you we didn't. While we were there chatting on it, we, 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 we kicked that tire a little bit. So. No, please don't hesitate to, to jump in. Um, you know, and to just kind of follow, you know, finish that up on cannabinoids, um, you know, the the issues with the FDA as well, that, those regulatory issues and with DEA too, um, that are kind of hanging out there, um, you know, those are all really um, a, a shared um, characteristic of cannabinoids. Um, you know, the pivot from uh, isolate uh, makers from extractors to Delta 8 THC was, was, was brilliant from a short term cash flow patch bandaid long run for the, for the industry at um, no, not, not a good thing, but, you know, I say that in the same time of knowing people that save their businesses, small businesses, but that's the issue with policy. We do things, people make money on things and it's not necessarily in the best interest of communities. And, um, I guess that's what uh, our legislatures are for. Um, I'll move on to fiber. Um, fiber this year, we see uh, 4,632 acres planted. Um, you know, that also doesn't include a bunch of five-acre plots, three-acre plots of people experimenting. Um, but that's a lot of what, what's happening. You know, we did have decorticating operations fire up this year um, in Kansas, for sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of talk about others. And uh, and another one in Montana that I think is is either nearing completion or is, or is in uh, – uh, production now. That's right. Um, so, um, so we're starting to see some some activity there, but uh, we're still a long way away. You know, the trials you mentioned genetics. I think that you know there are still some real issues with the genetics, and um, I know Gary Sykes, a North Carolina farmer, had some good luck in in producing some uh, um, you know some some uh, crop that that really got some good height um, in his latitude, our latitude um, here in North Carolina. Um, but, uh, you know, still some work to do there. And, and THC is an issue with those crops, too. So, um, you know, that's going to be an issue for that. Uh, again, the non-wovens thing, I think, is, um, you know, we should see there's R&D going on right now. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly within the next three to five years, we should see some um, substantial industry um, be using um hemp as a as a feedstock for non-woven products well tell us what that is real quick for those of us that might be ignorant about the difference between a fiber uh using the hemp for fiber and what it, we're talking about a non-woven sure so a non-woven are matted materials like if you think of the insulation underneath your hood or any kind of felt like matted material um there's a series of different ways to do it but it's not a woven product um you know mats are are um, uh you know created using um several different um actually note the, the wet needle blah, blah, but it rings but i can't remember which ones that's not my area of expertise but, um, that's all right. but, you know the reason we report on it is because it's a huge Huge industry. Non-wovens are used in all kinds of situations. There's a Canadian company that is producing geotextiles um, oh. and, and using him for that. So, you know, the kind of um, uh, you know uh, polypropylene um, you know geotextiles we saw before. I think there's a you know an opportunity for direct replacement for some of this stuff. Right. So, a dryer sheet, for example, you dry in your clothes and you throw a dryer sheet in. That's Why? non-woven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what is dry? What it's drying in the machine is a woven. What is <laughs> right? Well, it's it's true. It's that someday someone may put a, a hemp dryer sheet in with their their hemp clothing. Um, actually, That'd be cool. So, um, 
at any rate, non-wovens, there's just so many different applications. And so, you know, we see that moving forward and, and um, you know, being in a good position to, to, to watch, watch industries adopt hemp in their manufacturing processes. So um, on to hemp seed, um, hemp seed markets, um, uh, 5,808 acres this year. You know, we, we um, estimated that it was at least twice that much planted last year. We know that high commodity prices, there's just a lot of competition for ground this year. Um, as farmers went into planting season, um, you know, we were looking at commodity super cycles and corn and beans were, you know, uh, a known uh, crop with, um, you know, excellent returns and hedging abilities. So, um, so, you know, we think that displaced a bunch of hemp seed, but also we still think that hemp seed inventories are pretty, pretty deep. Um, one of the limitations is, is that, um, you know, we haven't really had an opportunity to look at hemp seed markets from a North American perspective. And the Canadian production is, is really pretty substantial and drives the market. So um, COVID prevented, they didn't even open up until August, I think, um, for, for uh, you know, for us to get in there, but um, really looking to include um uh, Canadian production and, uh, you know, eventually also European and Chinese, which are the other significant MC producers. So um, Chase, when you, when you say seed, you, you, you're differentiate seed and grain for those of us that might lump all that into one, into one category. Yeah. So the way I do it early on, I started spelling hemp seed with one word and then seed with one. So in writing, you can tell the difference. Hemp seed is the grain product, um, oil seed. And, um, and then uh, seed, for instance, I usually put for sowing, um, gotcha. seed for sowing. And that's also consistent with, um, with agriculture statistics, typically how they um, do that. Because for corn crops too, you split out a certain percentage usually is for seed production and that comes out of the balance sheets. We're not quite there detail wise in hemp seed, but um, at any rate, uh, hemp seed together is, is, uh, is, I'm talking about grain when I say that. Terrific. Thanks for the clarity. Sure. And um you know, um, I better pull my slides up here because I have things written there too. <laughs> I'll tell you about <laughs> there is uh, the FDA um, uh, Center for Veterinary uh, Medicine is the one who, you know, is involved in approvals for feeds and hemp seed is not approved. Uh, I, I suspect many of you know this, but if you don't, um, that's the situation. Um, we predicted over a year and a half ago that states would preempt this. And if they oh. saw the need to, you know, to um, to incorporate hemp seed into their, you know, agricultural systems there that um, that they would really see no, that they would not hesitate to do that. And, you know, just within the last month or two, we saw a letter from from the FDA saying, you know, uh, please don't do that, you know, stick with the program. And and we, we respect where they come from, but really it's about business. And um, when you've got, uh, you know, so many tons, hundreds of tons of, of material, um, you know, uh, hemp seed meal after pressing for oil, um, you know, we know some of that stuff moves in a gray market because it's valuable. Um, but, uh, you know, 
producers need to monetize all these product streams and it's important to do that. And many of them can't wait for a year or two until, you know, FDA says that hemp seed, which we already know, um, you know, through a variety of other research global that, um, that the FDA could make special allowances um, in this time of COVID in a time of feed shortages and drought, um, you know, to, uh, uh, to facilitate that for the producers. But if not, we see state departments of ags and legislatures moving right on ahead. Um, if farmers need a source. Um, so I uh, noted the production decrease in 2021. We think that's related to supply. Um, and uh, again, monetizing product streams is really key for all of these segments. Um, so what's really needed? Um, research is really, really key right now. Um, you know, we lack a lot of research in a lot of different areas. Um, you know, places like Oregon State University are researching feeding livestock post-extraction biomass. Um, so I think that, um, you know, there's great opportunities with, say, hemp seed meal and, and even hemp seed and, and other products. But monetizing waste products is really what uh, helps finance an industry Um you know, these, these segments. And so uh, the research, we see that really being critical to monetize those product streams. Um, and the economics of production too. Um, you know, we don't really know yet um, what it costs to do uh, each production method. And then when we take that and create finished products, all the economics from front to back, we have theoretical, but uh, in terms of people applying those, there's a lot of work to be done there in research. Um, but, you know, uh, Cornell, like uh, Dr. Smart up at Cornell, you know, he's done a lot of work with with uh, genetics as well. And, um, you know, got varieties like uh, Bama producing upwards of six tons to the acre of material, which, you know, regardless of what the application is, six tons, 12,000 pounds of material per acre is really respectable in terms of biomass off, off take. So, um, okay. Um, Along with critical research, standards and specifications are, are really desperately needed in this industry. Um, there's an entire constellation of standards and specs that, that are needed to bring structure to markets. Um, again, it's, it's, this is closely tied to broader research and, and product development also. Um, but, um, you know, standards from top to bottom in the industry are, you know, really haven't been developed. Now, industry and markets generally drive the consolidation around standards and specifications. And with so many people in R&D phases, there just really haven't, hasn't been the ability to do that. But you've got uh, organizations like ASTM International, uh, where we participate on the uh, D37 committee. And... Right. Also, other work that they're doing just in textiles, and um, but they're they're doing some good work there. I think that that helps kind of um, blaze a trail for industry as well. But things like certified seed are also a major limitation, you know, just on the on the ag end. Um, and you know, we've got we had the U.S. Hemp Authority certified that was doing um, certification product. Uh, uh, you know, a certification seal on cannabinoid products. Um, now the National Industrial Hemp Council is talking about some kind of certification um, program, but, you know, it's needed in more areas than cannabinoids. Uh, fiber, for instance, you know, we know that that some of the hemp fiber textiles that have been imported from China aren't necessarily what they say they are. Um, okay. That shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that understands China and understands business. 
right. there's a money opportunity, if it doesn't have a practical, um, you know, any kind of practical implication for the consumer, um, you know, uh, I think a, a manufacturer readily substitute other batch materials. So, you know, that's one area where we could um, see because you, it, demand for hemp retail products, clothing, et cetera, is definitely increasing. Lots and lots of companies are adding new products. Um, I try them all out on eBay. <laughs> there's a pretty deep selection of, of, of hemp clothes on eBay. Um, and uh, and there's a reason, unfortunately, some of them are there. But uh, the manufacturers are getting designs better and, and stuff. But, uh, you know, we need to know what we're getting because that might might inform the development of a, of a U.S. textile industry, too. So, right. How, how do you I mean, is there are there what you would call reliable statistics or reliable outlooks that could get an idea of what it meant for uh, fiber production in the U.S. However, we might define fiber for whatever reasons that we might be that we might be looking at. I mean, is there is there reliable data that would give you comfort enough to say, oh, yeah, we expect that the market in 2023 is X or in 2024 it could go from X to Y. Is that too early for us? Do we not have enough data? Yeah, in terms of data that, um, you know, basically, you know, historical data is what we use to really project forwards. Sure. Uh, and that is is something that we lack. But, you know, we can make all kinds of inference based on investment, um, based on you know, the kind of government funding opportunities that are coming up right now. Um, and, um, you know, how it fits into a total crop rotation and sustainable farming practices that we think are going to be um, financed at an even greater level here in the next several years. So, so, so no, there's not data for us to draw on to say that, uh, that this is, is, is uh, what we can expect, but um, from all the indicators, um, all the ancillary movement, and this is beyond just the talk because there's a lot of talk of, of different companies and, um, you know, some of that has, has come and gone and, and, um, but, um, you know, in terms of actual movement, we see the causes and conditions to, you know, things be really ripe for it. So the answer is no, but that's what we can infer. Gotcha. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of wrap it up, I think really was just the, um, in terms of opportunities, you know, we see enormous funding opportunities coming uh, down the pipeline with the Build Back Better funding, um, you know, climate change initiatives, community development. You know, there's just a lot of funding, certainly for women and minorities. But, um, you know, if you have a project and it creates jobs and it has a, a good carbon story, uh, you know, uh, and a, a favorable carbon footprint, um, you know, that kind of stuff is really going to be um is really going to be positioned well for funding. And, you know, politics is a lot about perception. And, sure. um, you know, that's a big part of the hemp industry, too. I mean, the hemp industry punches way above its weight in terms of noise. It's able to create a lot of noise, and you know, in respect to actual markets and movement. Um, so that's a real opportunity for hemp, and, and it fits well with, all, you know, the greater stories right now. Yeah, don't, don't you think that might fit back into the – kind of our earlier comment when we were talking about the good and the bad of the hemp plant because it does all this stuff i don't think i've ever heard anybody say hey man let's have somebody else that's getting into the switchgrass industry or hey i've got somebody else that's interested in ken and i have some you know 
you don't, even though hemp will do some of those same things, right? That maybe around energy is my thought processes, but I mean, <clears throat> but all these different groups, some of which has been uh, an issue to kind of settle and watch which group is alive next week that wasn't <laughs> alive last week. <clears throat> um, but part of that is, is because you've got all this interest that is there. I don't think that, that, that these other alternative crops, I mean, you follow this stuff. I haven't historically. I think that's a huge piece, right? I mean, the fact that all these people are excited about it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a huge opportunity. I mean, even for my company, um, you know, for my company, our hemp program is one to feature because we cover renewable energy and and uh, these different areas. And so, um, you know, companies are looking for opportunities to say, you know, here's here's what we're doing. And and that's certainly one of them. Uh, yeah. They'll certainly do that through um, carbon exchanges, I think, and offsets as they as they emerge that they can publicize. You know, a lot of that is really just for them to be able to say, here's what we're doing. Here's That's the right. story. And the story is often what guides, especially millennials, um, you know, but but many of us are are, are purchasing uh, habits are, you know, driven by stories. Not not so much on the wholesale purchasing end, though, when we look at broader markets, um, Though there's political opportunities in there, in the end, you know they have to be um, cost competitive at least to a certain degree, or be, um, you know, those costs be mitigated with with other uh, fund funding or policy, and it can happen. You, know, you look at the ethanol industry. You know, I mean, it just absolutely exploded. And it wasn't because people drove up to the tank and said, "I want to put corn fuel in my tank." It was, you know, it was policy driven. Heck yeah, that's exactly right. Hey, we got a great question from Michael here, and you just and you touched on it right there. <clears throat> Do you really think the whole idea around carbon credits might be a motivator for hemp growers who might not be motivated otherwise because of hemp's ability to sequester carbon as well as it does? Well, one, we need more research. We need to have good life cycle assessments on um, the various hemp products. Um, and um, as the carbon credit systems are set up now, as those exchanges are set up now, um, no, they, they don't really create any more impetus for you really need to be farming several thousand acres. And then, um, you know, again, I, I don't know if it, any of the exchanges have really, you know, their systems are based on cover cropping and crop rotations. And, you know, I don't know that they have the information yet to do that. Um, what I really see is, one, I see better carbon exchanges in the future that do a better job of, um, you know, and they just just going to have to be better, um, yeah, yeah. really motivate farmers to um, to do that and embrace practices that, um, you know, improve carbon sequestration. But we also just need to know what's happening. We can't manage what we have measured and we just don't know, don't know yet. Uh, so I think that there's definitely a lot of opportunity there. I talk about it a lot. And, you know, remember, I come from a very objective uh, standpoint. So, you know, if, if I or a hemp industry say, I would say absolutely no doubt, you know, this is a huge opportunity, but, but that's not my position and my role. My role is to say that, um, you know, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity, but there are a series of problems that need to be. Overcome. Sure. Sure. It's just goes with the growing pains, right? I right. mean, with part of it is of, of where we're doing with that. And the carbon thing that goes beyond hemp, that growing pain is going to be all of agriculture. Agriculture is just starting to embrace um, this, you know, because they're coming back from the cap and trade thing where they'd be forced to do this. Right. That's what they're real reticent of. But even Farm Bureau now is, has embraced it. And so, um, yeah, 
that creates a lot of opportunity. Well, we're not we're not for mandates, but we we are for markets that give people an opportunity to tap into, and we certainly think that that's a great way to do it. So, a carrot's a great way to do it. If they can use the carrot, that's good. Any day, any day. Chase, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today and, and giving us some good background. We hope that you will be a regular with us to give us some updates. We'd like to be able to see what new things are tweaking around and what are you hearing and what are you seeing because you guys pay attention to that. Um, uh, what's the best way for folks to connect with Fast Markets at the Jacobson Report to be able to learn more about what you guys do? Uh, it, you can email me at charles.hubbard at fastmarkets.com. Uh, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or, um, uh, uh, you know, if it takes me a little time to get back to you, I regret that, but please don't hesitate to reach out. Really. Hey, he will email you back. That's how we got him on for a second show today for him to be able to show up. So Chase, we really appreciate your time. We appreciate the folks that uh, participate and listen in or watch in whichever the case may be. Uh, uh, Keep watching for our next uh, guests uh, that when we have our episodes show up every Monday afternoon uh, on the podcast, wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts, uh, we will be there uh, and in spades ready to go to talk about all good things going on, particularly for industrial hemp. So uh, check us out on our website if you are not on our mailing list or want to learn more about what we're doing at um, nationalhempcoop.us. Uh, and until next time, uh, uh, we'll see you then. Thanks so much, Chase. Thanks, Nick. Thanks all. Happy holidays. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.